Hebrews chapter 12 and the verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Here we have an awesome, a fearful, yea, a very terrible and terrifying description of God. Now we know how terrible a fire, a blazing fire is. If it were to break out into the church, it would cause a panic. It's terrifying, just an ordinary, earthly, blazing fire. And yet it says here that our God is a consuming fire. Now there are some who vainly imagine this could never be God. This could never be our God. That pagan deities, that they may be like this, but not the Christian God. Not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of grace and the God of comfort. And so there are those who would deny that the Christian God is one who could be described thus. But let's be clear about it. Whenever Paul is describing God, he's not speaking about a foreign God. He's not speaking about the pagan gods. He's not speaking about an alien God. Do you notice how he says it? Our God. The God of Christians. The God of the Christian church. Our God is a consuming fire. Nor can it be altered. To say God is light. It doesn't say that. Now God is light. That is true. That's another description of God. The Lord Jesus said. I am the light of the world. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He that follows me. The Lord says. Shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light of life. The life giving light. Yes God is life giving light. He is light that is gracious. He is light that gives creative life unto all his creatures. God said, let there be light. Isn't that how the world commenced? Was not the first thing that God brought in upon the creation that is to be formed? Let there be light upon it, bringing the life to it. And so the Lord is light. He is the one who illuminates our hearts and light gives not only life it gives warmth it gives heat it's not how the flowers come though they need the light or the heat of the light as light it is something to be embraced and cherished but our text tonight is not talking about God as light that's not what it says it doesn't say God is light and walk in light as he is in the light those are other verses. You remember the two on the road to Emmaus? They were in the presence of the light of the world, the Lord Jesus. And he brought the word to them and their hearts warmed and radiated. Did not our heart burn within us? Has he talked with us by the way? And so he's, he's the light, bringing the warmth and the glow to our hearts by his grace. That reviving light. But this is not in our text. This is fire. The noun is fire. 
unless we be anywise mistaken about it, the apostle adds the verb consuming. A blazing, consuming fire our God is. So there's no mistaking the meaning of his words and what he is saying. And we have to ask, could this really be our God? A consuming fire? After all, as we saw this morning, have we not come on to that place? In Mount Zion that we read of in verses 22 to 24, unto the company of the angels and the assembly of the firstborn, unto the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator, the blood of sprinkling. And we don't read of any farther. We read of God the judge sitting in the midst of his people, and there he is, all this grace and glory, but we don't read of fire. We come onto it, and there's no consuming fire. Only peace and tranquility and blessed communion and free approach unto God and no consuming fire. Fire is not even mentioned in Mount Zion at all. But there is a reason for that. And the reason for that is the blood of sprinkling. For there is sacrifice and death here and substitution here and the satisfying of divine justice here. There's blood and there's a mediator and there's Jesus and there's one in our flesh reconciling us unto God, the God-man. Divine nature and human nature coming together in one person. And he has dealt with the consuming fire aspect. So there is no fire, no consuming fire at Mount Zion to where we have come because of Jesus Christ. This is so for Christ's sake. God in Zion is not a consuming fire to his people. The consuming has taken place at the cross where our sins have been consumed, having been dealt with by the blood of Christ, by the blood of sprinkling. Christ's blood then and his incarnation, his death, has intervened on behalf of his people. Christ went through the fire for his people and in his person and his sacrifice our sins were consumed there at Calvary. And so by his death the guilt of our sin is consumed. The penalty for sin was dealt with. Christ said at the cross, I thirst. He's experiencing something of consuming fire. He's in the darkness, the thick darkness such as is at Sinai. He faced the fiery justice for sinners. And so we are told that is why there is no consuming fire in Mount Zion in verse 24. There is fire, however, at the other mountain, Mount Sinai. We read of that in verses 18 through to 20. You're not come onto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire. Do you see that? Not Zion burning with fire, only the blood of sprinkling, but Mount Sinai, the darkness, and the burning with fire. God, the consuming fire, on Mount Sinai. So this is what Paul 
is referring to when he's saying it's the same God, it's the same God on Mount Sinai as is on Mount Zion, but at Mount Sinai he is particularly seen as a burning fire. So this isn't the first time he's mentioned fire. He's just going back again to Sinai, the mountain that can be touched, the burning fire of God on Mount Sinai. And because there was fire, there was fear. The people feared. They couldn't approach onto the mountain because of the fire and the darkness. How can you have fire and darkness in the same place? I don't know. I can't explain it. I can't fathom it. It's the mystery of the glory of God dwelling in the darkness and yet the fiery burning justice. But it made them afraid. And even Moses himself, he was terrified and he trembled in his physical frame. He quaked. And so what is the difference between the two mountains? One with fire, the same God. One without fire, the same God. What's the difference? The difference is Jesus, the mediator, and the blood of sprinkling that we spoke about this morning. That's the difference. Our God is a consuming fire. And outside of Christ, and apart from Christ, this is what God is mad as. This is what we would have to face God as. Outside of Christ, without a mediator, without the cross, without the blood of Christ, meeting God, we would meet a consuming fire. That's how it would be experienced. But because we are in Christ, and we come through Christ, we are accepted, and we have the peace of God and the tranquility of being able to approach unto Him without being consumed and burned up. Outside of Christ, our God is a consuming fire. And so that's why we can only come through Christ. And that's the danger that men face who don't believe in Christ who don't have Jesus as the mediator, and who dare to approach unto God without him and apart from him, they will find he is a consuming fire outside of Christ. They go unto God without a mediator, without this one who speaks from Zion on the behalf of sinners, whose blood of sprinkling speaks better things than that of Abel. So to refuse Christ, to not hear Christ, to not believe on Christ, to not receive Christ's grace, to not by him alone come on to the kingdom of God. To be Christless is folly because it brings you into the presence of God, the consuming fire. This is the God you meet then if you meet him in your sins without a saviour Jesus Christ and without the covering of the blood of sprinkling. Now whenever Paul uses this word to describe God he's not making it up. He's not bringing in something new. I've often said in the past that's not what Paul does in Hebrews. He doesn't invent new things. He doesn't bring in new phraseology. All of the epistle to the Hebrews is just the, what we would call the cud 
of the Old Testament. The Old Testament that has been studied and devoured by him, meditated upon him, and now he brings it up as the cud to give unto the church. He's one who has studied the scriptures in the Spirit of the Lord, who's been illuminated by the Spirit as he studied the, the Word of God and Mount Sinai and all of these things that he brings in, the priesthood, everything in, it's, it's all old. But he's bringing it in to show us that in Christ it is all fulfilled. So this expression, our God, a consuming fire, is not his expression. It's not new. He doesn't make it up. He's quoting from the Old Testament. In fact, we read one of the portions whereby he quotes from Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. The Lord thy God is a consuming fire. He's quoting Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. Deuteronomy 9, verse 3. Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God who goeth before thee as a consuming fire. Do you see how it's both times it said, The Lord thy God, a consuming fire. And Paul is taking those two texts. Our God is a consuming fire. We've moved on from Sinai, but it's the same God. We've come to Mount Zion, but it's the same God. There are those who say that the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God that they're two different gods altogether, but that is not true. Paul is saying, our God, the same consuming fire on Mount Sinai, who has now led us on to Zion, it's our God. It's the same God. He's still a consuming fire. I remind you how Moses first met God. You'll remember he was in the backside of the desert. He came to the mountain of God, Horeb. Do you remember how he said, that he saw a bush and it was burning, it was blazing, it was on fire, but not consumed. He had to go and see this great sight. He drew near to see this sight, and as he drew near and looked more carefully, you can see the leaves are still green and fresh, and the branches are still there, still the same, this blazing, blazing, glorious fire, and not consumed. There's a creature not consumed. There's wood and leaves and timber not consumed. There's roots there and this glorious fire and yet not consumed. A consuming fire and yet something not consumed. That's how Moses met God who came to dwell in a bush in his blazing fiery justice and glory and that bush not consumed. You know, there's a lesson in that. God is revealing something to us. How we can meet him. How we can approach onto him. And Moses is going to investigate a wee bit more. He's going to get his magnifying glass out, as it were, and look a wee bit more. And God says, look, Moses, stand still. Take the shoes off your feet. This is holy ground. This is me. This is my glory. This is my consuming, fiery justice. You just hold your ground and take your shoes off and be reverent. You don't investigate me like you do a rat in a laboratory. Take your shoes off and just listen. We don't investigate God. We listen to God. We don't study God like some object in the laboratory. But we listen to him. We reverence him. We worship him. We serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God 
is this God a consuming fire? Now this bush wasn't consumed. It was awful, it was terrifying to Moses. It was something that was amazing to him. Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look upon this sight any longer. It was terrifying. Now here's God in union with a bush. A consuming fire joined to a bush. And normally a bush would just shrivel up and be away. That's what normally happens every other bush in the wilderness. But God has come into this bush and it does shrivel up and consume. God and bush together, but not consumed. That picture's Christ. That's why we're not consumed. Because God, in the person of his Son, his divine nature, joined to himself a human nature, so that in one glorious person, two natures came together. God and man in one person, a human nature joined to a divine nature, and yet the human nature not consumed. The incarnation. And that incarnate one died for us so that he brings us also into union with him and we are not consumed as we are in union with the God-man. It's a wonderful thing, our salvation. We're such sinners. We ought to be consumed. But he became man and took our nature and dealt with our sins so that we could be brought near to him and not be consumed. This is a wonderful thing. And this bush pictures Christ, the God-man, bringing us near unto God. But we still have to go reverently. We still have to serve him, as it says here in verse 28, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We still have to have grace. Even though we've come unto Zion, that doesn't mean we can behave badly and serve him any old way we like. We can't. We have to serve him reverently, for he is a consuming fire. We have to take the shoes off our feet and have no nonsense in the house of God because our God is a consuming fire. And we're to serve him reverently, that is, in accordance with his word, in accordance with his commands and with pure hearts and sincerity and truth because he is a consuming fire. You see how he puts in the word for here? For our God is a consuming fire. So because we come onto Mount Zion and have approach unto God, it doesn't mean that we can be irreverent or serve him in any old way we please. This is what Paul is teaching here. The Bible asks a very interesting question. Isaiah 33 verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And the answer is, outside of Christ, no one. Not sinners, not hypocrites, all consumed. But the redeemed who have sincere true faith in Christ 
shall dwell with the burning glory of God throughout all eternity. It's because of Emmanuel, God with us. So that means that the divine justice is against sin. This is what it means, our God is a consuming fire. Whenever sin confronts him, his justice rises up and consumes it. And sin that is not repented of, sin that is not forgiven, sin that is not under the blood of Christ, not washed away by his blood, God is a consuming fire against that sin. Now the first time that we read of fire in the Bible, of a flame, is in Genesis chapter 3. It was soon after the fall, and we read that God drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So the, the fire and the flame and the blaze has come because of the entrance of sin. A man has been driven from the garden, the tree of life he doesn't have access onto because of this fiery blade, this fiery justice. And we who have faith in Christ know that that fiery blade has been satisfied in the blood of Jesus Christ. It has been quenched there. We have now the right to the tree of life because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's there right at the start when sin comes into the world, the, the flaming sword. And then you remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, what does the Bible say? The Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Out of heaven. This is it. Our God is a consuming fire. Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we all know about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what the situation is. No matter how men want to change it and gloss it over. It's very evident when you read Genesis what was going on there. And God was sending the fire upon it. And God wants us to remember that, you see. It's not every day that God burns up Sodomites. Bless his name. He's long-suffering and gracious and patient. It's not every day he destroys cities where this sin is abounding in. For he's very long-suffering. But at the early history of the human race, he sets an example. He gives a warning. And so he sent fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Just a small community at that time. But he sent his fire upon them. Not just to destroy them. But to make them an ensample to future human history. To the future nations of the earth. And to the future cities and peoples of the earth. Who would be as Sodom and Gomorrah. He sets them forth as examples. That's what Peter and Jude said. Peter said, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample, example, unto those that after should live ungodly. Jude, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. It wasn't ordinary fire. 
It was God, the consuming fire, coming down upon them. It was eternal fire. Fire such as they are still in tonight. In their spirits. Set forth as an example. Our God is a consuming fire. So we must not think that this doctrine of divine fairy justice is one that is obscure and debatable. It is fundamental. To remove it from the scripture is to leave us with a Bible that is in tatters and in shreds. For it is everywhere in the word of God. Not only in Moses but in the prophets and in the Psalms. There went out smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares and fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. Thou shalt make them as a fairy oven in the time of thine anger. These are the Psalms, several Psalms that I've quoted from. You remember Leviticus, Nadab and Abihu, who behaved foolishly in the worship of God. There went out fire from the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. You remember those 250 men with their censers coming out in their disobedient boldness and there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed them. Even Paul, you remember in this epistle to the Hebrews, he said, if we sin after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. He's already spoke about this. And we in our studies in the book of the Revelation, we met this time and time again, how that there is fire comes from the Lord and the wicked are tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb forever and ever. We read that the beast was taken in the false prophet and they were cast into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And we read in our studies in chapter 20, whosoever was not found in the book of life, you remember how this book of life is mentioned earlier on? Firstborn, the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, but whosoever names is not written in heaven, they have to face a consuming fire. And whoever is not written in heaven is cast into the lake of fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And those who are not in Zion shall discover that. When they're cast into the lake of fire, a burneth forever and ever, and their smoke of their torment go up forever and ever. We can't abandon this doctrine. It's in all the word of God. And as I said, we'd just be left with tatters if we were to extract it and remove it. But it doesn't only leave us with a tattered Bible. It robs God of his glory. The glory of his glorious justice and righteousness. It trivializes sin and it leaves us with a valueless redeemer and with blood that is less precious and with a ransom that is less valuable, a sacrifice that is powerless if we were to take the glory of his fiery justice from God, to rob God of his burning justice is to rob the Saviour of the glory of his holy cross work, where mercy and truth met together at Calvary, and where righteousness, this justice and peace, 
kissed each other so that we sinners can come unto God. It devalues Christ's cross to rob God of his very justice. So yes, this word is true. Paul is right. Our God is a consuming fire. So consider then that it is most necessary to be a Christian to come to God. To be in Christ. To have him as your saviour. Most necessary and very wise to come through Christ. Indeed, it would be madness to approach God otherwise. It would be the greatest folly to rush into his presence without a mediator and without the blood of sprinkling. I recall you to the Mount of Transfiguration and to the time when Christ came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and there met him at the foot of the Mount, a father with his son, a father there because of his son and about his son, a son who he called a lunatic. My son is a lunatic. And his lunacy was seen in this regard. Oftentimes he fell into the fire. It's only a lunatic falls into the fire. And this lunatic oftentimes fell into the fire. The devil cast him into the fire. And the lunatic could not prevent it. And I remind you tonight that lunatics are sinners, and sinners are lunatics, who would dare to die and dare to come into the presence of God without a mediator, Jesus Christ. That they would dare to fall into the arms of the eternal and everlasting burnings without Christ. That's lunacy. That is folly of the highest order and description be wise therefore all men and consider your latter end and flee from the judgment to come and make your approach unto God only through faith in his son Jesus the Christ so come to Christ cast yourself into the arms of Jesus Christ who brings you near unto God and you're not consumed. Praise God, we are not consumed. We can come with boldness unto the, the fiery throne of grace because of Christ and we're not consumed. So come through Christ and believe in Christ and meet God in Christ and pray to God through his name and die and go into the presence of the everlasting burning of his glory in Christ. So that is why we need a mediator and the blood of sprinkling.